Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Just last week, political obits were being prepared for Britain's Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Over the course of a few days, a member of his party crossed the floor. Can I start by warmly welcoming the Honourable Member for Bury South to his new place Then another one said it was time for Johnson to resign. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. And finally, police announced they were investigating a number of events that took place at 10 Downing Street. I can confirm that the Met is now investigating a number of events that took place at Downing Street and Whitehall. These events were several boozy parties at the prime minister's residence, and they happened during pandemic lockdowns, when the British public were told not to socialize, let alone host a party. And then, on Monday of this week, a highly anticipated report dropped. It provided the first real judgment about these parties. This sense in the public that there's a rule for Boris Johnson and there's a rule for everybody else. Paul Waldy is The Globe's foreign correspondent based in London. He's here to explain. This is The Decibel. Paul, thanks for chatting with us today. Sure. Glad to. So the Sue Gray report landed on on Monday, finally. Uh, But before we get into its findings, can you catch us up on these parties that were happening and, and what Sue Gray was investigating? Well, this has been a mess right from the get go. And we have to go back to early January when revelations of partings at Downing Street during lockdown first surfaced in some of the newspapers here. Now, At first, Boris Johnson said no parties had happened. Then he said he didn't think any rules were broken. Then he got outraged and called for an internal investigation by the head of the civil service, a guy named Simon Chase. Well, Simon Chase couldn't do the review because he was at one of the parties. So then he had to bring Sue Gray in to do the review. So as Sue Gray continued to work, more and more and more allegations came forward. And now we're up to 16 parties that are under investigation wow. by Sue Gray. And then out of the blue, the Metropolitan Police got into the fray. So there's two investigations here then. So there's a police investigation and then there's like a government investigation, which is this Sue Gray report here. Paul, you've been you've been following this pretty closely. What was your initial reaction, I guess, when you when you read this Sue Gray report? You know, at first blush, it's it's very, very general. I mean, she talks about how, you know, excessive drinking in a workplace is bad. Well, no kidding. Uh, She talks about how there was a failure to conduct leadership and some of these things shouldn't have happened. But she doesn't say what specifically shouldn't have happened and who specifically is at fault here. So it's a bit of a cover for Boris Johnson, but it is not the end of the story. She is going to produce a final report. The police are going to continue to investigate. They are likely to uh, find some people, whether or not Boris Johnson will be one of them. We don't know yet. So there's still a lot more to come. And I guess Monday was really just kind of a a setup to what we're going to see in a few weeks or even months. What did you make of that observation that this this level of drinking kind of keeps being emphasized at these events that were happening at 10 Downing? 
Well, we did know that um, there's a lot of alcohol flowing at Downing Street because one of the allegations that came out in some of the newspaper reporting was that some officials at Downing Street had been sent to a local supermarket to stock up on wine and bring it back in a suitcase. And we know that there was a fridge in in Downing Street that was stacked full of of wine and, and other things. Now, I mean, yes, of course, this is a the prime minister's office. It's also his home. It's also got a garden. So there's going to be some occasions where there's going to be wine and that kind of thing. What has really irked people, though, is that these allegations, these parties, these events, this drinking was occurring at a time when no social interaction was supposed to be permitted, when funerals weren't happening, when weddings weren't happening, when people couldn't meet their loved ones, when people couldn't go into nursing homes. So it has really hit a nerve with a lot of people, and it has been going on for several months, and we keep hearing story after story after story. So that has faded a bit, but there is kind of a, a deepening sense that something really bad happened here and that Johnson is at fault for it. So what were the general findings of this report then? Were these parties breaking rules, breaking these COVID-19 restrictions? No, I mean, these findings were were just that, very general, very broad. You know, there was a failure leadership. She couldn't go into specifics because that's the stuff the Metropolitan Police are doing. And she felt she couldn't undermine that investigation by providing a more extensive report into what she's found. She has done that, apparently. She's ready to go with the final report that does lay blame, that does get into specifics, but she's holding off until the police finish what they're doing. And if there's any fines to be levied, then that will be a police matter. And that could hit the prime minister. He was at at least one of these parties. We know that likely two. So he may be facing a fine for those two actions alone. How much power does this report have, Paul? Like, does Johnson have to implement any changes as as a result of it? No, this report in and of itself, he can completely ignore. I mean, at his political peril, it, it only carries any weight because of the, the political pressure that's been built up around it and that surrounds it. Hmm. This, of course, isn't the first controversy that Boris Johnson has faced, though. I'm wondering what it is about this scandal in particular that's that's caused it to become such a big deal. It's the pandemic. It's what everybody can relate to. This A lot of scandals that, that happen in Westminster, like in Ottawa, like in a lot of political circles, tend to be very inside baseball things that outrage the reporters who cover Parliament Hill, but nobody else can understand what's going on and nobody else cares. This one, though, people did care. This was a lockdown. This was parties, 16 parties during lockdown when no one was supposed to be having any social interaction. That has hit home. Um, this kind of hypocrisy, I just want to read out a little part of the report because it deals with this idea of, of hypocrisy that was going on there. Quote, at least some of the gatherings in question represent a serious failure to observe not just the high standards expected of those working at the heart of government, but also of the standards expected of the entire British population at the time. Paul, how has Johnson addressed this element of the scandal? Uh, well, needless to say, he hasn't addressed that because what he keeps saying is when it comes to the specifics of the parties, he keeps saying, oh, well, let's got to wait for the police investigation. And then he'll say, well, I'm going to reform the way Downing Street operates. We're going to turn it into a sort of government department. But what that phrase and what that passage really hits home is this sense in the public that there's a rule for Boris Johnson and there's a rule for everybody else. And that's the one line of attack that Keir Starmer and the Labour Party have been able to to manage to really hit home with people, that Boris Johnson kind of lives in a world where the rules don't apply to him. And that 
has kind of been his history. I mean, this is a guy that went to Eton. This is a guy that went to Oxford. This is a guy that many people would say has had an awful lot of things handed to him and seems to operate under the assumption that everybody else has to follow the rules, but I don't. And that's a criticism that's coming back to haunt him, especially now. And it's a criticism he hasn't been able to wiggle out of because this type of allegation and this type of report and this kind of police investigation really just feeds into that. Paul, let's take a moment and and talk more broadly about Boris Johnson. What should we know in terms of not just understanding the kind of prime minister he is, but who he is as a as a person? Well, I mean, Boris Johnson has has been a political animal all of his life. You know, he started his career as a journalist and he made a name for himself reporting from the European Union. Some pretty inflammatory, some pretty wild suggestions in some of his newspaper columns that really pushed the boundaries of what reporters should be doing. So he kind of had this reputation of really exaggerating things and really pushing the limit on Sorry, things. Sorry, what do you mean by that, Paul? I'm, I'm just curious. Like- he used to pick up on EU regulations. You know, he would take a regulation and say, oh, look, they're regulating the size of bananas we can eat in Britain. They're regulating the, you know, the, the color of paint we use on the roads and things like that. And there was maybe a half truth to it, but it wasn't the full story. It's one of those things where you pick out one thing, but in the broader context, it wasn't quite correct. So it wasn't wrong. It wasn't right. It was an exaggeration. And he built his career on that in, in journalism. Now, he was fired from a couple of jobs and he had a very colorful kind of career. But he did, you know, rise to edit some important magazines. He was a huge, hugely popular columnist. And he continued writing for newspapers up until he became prime minister. He had a regular column in the Daily Telegraph. So um, so he does have that side of him. But that's really been his only career, that and running for office. So he was an MP for a while. He was mayor of London for two terms. No mean feat for a conservative to get elected as mayor of London, so you got to hand it to him. Um, he can be his own worst enemy, but he may yet recover from this because he is a phenomenal campaigner. He's not an, a, a detail person. In, in a weird way, he's the guy you want to run for prime minister. He's the guy you want to campaign for prime minister. But he's probably pretty lousy if you actually had to hire a prime minister and actually do the job. He's not very good on the details. He's not very good on the administrative side. But he sure as hell is good at getting himself elected to that position. Let's come back to the party scandal and and the Sue Gray report then, because it seems like the question that's really looming over all of this is, will Boris Johnson survive this politically? Uh, Do do you have a read on on that, Paul, a a day after these general findings uh, have dropped? I would have said a couple of weeks ago it would have been 50-50. Now I'd say it's probably 70-80% that he will. That's simply because, again, I think the public has kind of heard enough of this. He's making this argument that we got to move on from this. We got to get into Ukraine and, you know, gas prices and energy prices and the economy and, and move on to more substantive issues and stop wasting time on this. And that does seem to be hitting home with a lot of people. There is a sense that, you know, well, we're kind of tired of it. And I don't know that there's an appetite amongst the conservative MPs as there was before to trigger the vote of confidence and to get into a messy leadership race in large part because there are no obvious successors to Boris Johnson. There's no candidates out there who really could step in and take over. There's only a couple of people, Liz Trust, the Foreign Secretary, Rishi Sunak, the, the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer. They're both not exactly household names, not exactly, you know, world beaters when it comes to running or to being campaigners. He has the ability to bounce back. The pandemic is receding here. There's 
virtually no restrictions anymore on anything. The economy is showing signs of life and rebounding. So if Boris Johnson can get through the next few months and the economy rebounds, the pandemic fades away and people forget about this, he could yet survive. However, that kind of damage to his reputation, that that sense amongst people that he can't be trusted has been baked in. And his net approval rating right now is incredibly low. It's lower than Theresa May's ever was. So how he comes back from that, I don't know. One big sort of challenge for him coming up or one kind of big hurdle is comes in May. And there's local elections here in May. There's hundreds of council seats up for grabs. If the conservatives do badly in those elections, that could be a real sign of Tory MPs that they got a problem with Boris Johnson and they can't go into the next election with him. So May could be a really important time for him. So some people are, are waiting to, to make up their minds, but a lot of uh, others have actually um, been calling for his resignation. So Johnson has been facing uh, very public calls for his resignation from within his own party even. Can you help me understand why would members of his own party publicly turn on him like that? I think you have to look at the broader picture of the way Parliament is run here. And it's it's very different than what you see in Ottawa. Now, Ottawa, the, the, the whole Liberal Party, the whole Liberal Caucus is kind of referred to as the government. And they all meet together. I mean, the Liberal Caucus and all the MPs and cabinet ministers and Trudeau will all meet once a week with each other. That doesn't happen here. In, in Britain, there's really a very clear sense of the government, which is the prime minister and his cabinet, and all the other MPs. So what you then have is MPs free, really, to say, I disagree with the government on this. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're disagreeing with the party. They're just an MP disagreeing with what the government's doing, just like every other MP in the House of Commons, regardless of what party they're from. Yesterday was a good example. When Boris Johnson gave his statement in Parliament, you had three conservative MPs get up and say, I'm not going to support you anymore. And that's kind of normal. That happens. So backbench MPs do have a lot more independence here and are much more willing, much more able and certainly uh, very common to, to, to poke fingers at the government and say, I disagree. And, and this is wrong. So it's 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 a different kind of parliament than you see in Ottawa. Johnson also just uh, arrived in Ukraine on Tuesday to, to deal with the tensions that are happening there with uh, with Russian troops along the border. It's no surprise he's going to Ukraine today. Everything Boris Johnson does is is political. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> I mean, Johnson has an important job as as a leader of a, a world power. I wonder, has his other responsibilities, I guess, been neglected in a way, or or, or has has he been distracted by these ongoing discussions uh, around these parties? Well, he would argue that he has been, and in fact, yesterday was kind of funny that he was in Parliament, and because he had to make this statement on this Sue Gray report, and because it went on so long, it went on for two hours, he missed a planned phone call he was supposed to have with Vladimir Putin. So he would argue, see, I'm being distracted, I'm, I'm not being able to carry on with things. What's interesting with Ukraine is it feeds into Boris Johnson's narrative about Brexit. And again, yesterday, he also was touting a Brexit bill and touting Britain's independence from the EU. And Ukraine feeds into that because I think if you look at what's happened in the last few months, Britain has been far more aggressive in supporting Ukraine, far more aggressive in going after Russia than anyone, any other country in the EU. And that, again, is a sign, and, and Boris Johnson would say this repeatedly, that, see, it's, it's a symbol of how Britain is standing alone and standing on its own. It doesn't have to follow the EU anymore. It doesn't have to do whatever the EU says. The EU tends to speak with one voice on these things. Britain is now sort of articulating even louder about Ukraine and about Russia because to just to prove to the world that it is now an independent country and outside the EU. So 
that whole situation does feed into Boris Johnson's narrative that he is bringing Britain uh, into the into the world and bringing Britain into a new phase in its relationship with the rest of the world. This scandal was, uh, of course, unfolding as the the UK was dealing with Omicron, uh, and daily cases were up to around like two hundred thousand at the beginning of January. Um, since then, case counts have improved, and Boris Johnson recently lifted the majority of COVID restrictions. I'm curious to know, Paul, from the people you've talked to, has the lifting of these restrictions helped him in terms of public opinion? Like, was that a good move for him? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things Boris Johnson did about a week ago was was announce earlier than he had to the lifting of all restrictions in England. And there, there are basically no restrictions now anymore. And the government has been very keen to talk about how they are leading the world. They're showing the world how we now have to live with, with Omicron and we have to live with the virus. I mean, cases are still running here at about 100,000 a day. Hospitalizations have begun to dip and they're well under 2,000 a day, which was kind of the tipping point of when the NHS gets, you know, pretty burdened. So the government is saying, look, we know what we're doing. We're going to rely on vaccination. We're going to rely on vaccines more than anything. So that has been very much a part of their strategy to kind of get people off the party gate thing and onto how brilliantly they're managing the pandemic. There's a lot of health experts saying this is a pretty risky move. We'll see how it pans out. But the government has certainly made it very clear where they're headed on in terms of how they treat the pandemic. Does Johnson have enough goodwill with voters to, to ride out the scandal then? Not right now. Uh, right now, his uh, approval ratings are, again, lower than Theresa May's were before she was forced to resign. Whether they'll come back, I don't know. I was talking to a political scientist here who, who's tracked this thing for, for years and years and years. He said he's never seen a politician come back from the levels of negative approval rating that Boris Johnson has hit. Now, Boris Johnson is Boris Johnson. He's, he's a unique animal. Maybe he can. Maybe he can defy the odds and can. The problem, though, is even if he does claw it back a little bit, is he still going to be a drag on the party heading into the next election? And that's the calculation conservative backbench MPs are making right now. What will you be watching for here? What's the, the next test that Johnson will face in this in this saga? The police. The police is the next thing. Uh, if if fines are levied and whether or not they actually find Boris Johnson, the police have handled this incredibly badly so far. And they've been now put into a corner where there's allegations that they're in cahoots and they're trying to do a stitch up here. I'm sure they're not. I'm sure they're trying to manage this as best they can. But because they've handled it so badly, all eyes are on them now. And I don't know how they can come up with a solution that's going to make anybody look good. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Sure. Glad to. Before we go, an update on a story we brought you a few weeks ago. On Tuesday, Quebec Premier François Legault scrapped his previous plan to tax the unvaccinated. The proposed tax was quite controversial, and if it had gone through, would have raised ethical and legal questions. Legault said he made the decision to cancel the tax because the idea was causing division. I understand that this divides Quebecers, and right now, we need to build bridges to listen to each other. Quebecers must... Okay, that's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovic is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.